please God, calm my heart and my mind. So my first tent was the parking lot. There were a lot of cars, far more than I thought there would be. And so I had to drive quite a distance out to park away from the building, and I'm walking up rather briskly, thinking, surely 10 minutes early is plenty early enough. But then I walk into the room and realize, whoa, there's a lot of people here. And as an introvert who, as they say, is very extroverted about letting you know I'm an introvert, I realize that this is not what I signed up for. I severely underestimated what I agreed to be part of. I'm looking around and there's expensive clothes. Everyone's wearing their best. The, the place settings at all these banquet tables is really nice. The salad is there, ready to go. And so I'm ushered in to talk to the person who's in charge and she reminds me, like we discussed on the phone some weeks back, be brief. I want you to give a final comment related to something that you heard throughout the evening and then pray us out. Every minute is scheduled and we need to end at nine o'clock. All right. I'm walked to the table that I'm going to sit at and I have already had dinner because I didn't know what to expect at this banquet. And so I'm not hungry, but I poke at my salad, you know, trying to move it around to look like I ate something. And I'm sitting there, um, chicken and rice comes out. I do the same with that. And I take a couple bites to be polite, but I've already ate, and right now I feel like I'm going to throw up. And the evening begins as someone takes the stage and takes the microphone, and they start in a room full of impressive people, and they need to recognize that there are some individuals here that should be recognized and honored. And so they start going through a list of individuals who are here. There's an internationally known former state governor. He's going to give the keynote address. There's a state representative. There's a congressman. There's a plethora of local politicians. And so I think, as I'm there with my salad and chicken, what will I say? <laughs> I look down at the table, and seated next to me is a good friend, and, and he has the, the program for the evening. And the theme of the evening is the greatest of these is love. And I think that's it. I'm the pastor of beloved church. Of course, I'm going to talk about the love of God. But how? What am I actually going to say in this moment? And as I'm thinking through this throughout the evening, as different people come on stage and they give these very impressive talks and people are clapping like crazy, um, shouting their agreement and things like that. And as we're getting further and further into the evening, I'm starting to realize how scared I am. What am I going to say? My heart is pounding. I'm feeling dizzy. And again, like I might throw up. And so I'm just praying. But as I'm praying, I'm thinking, why am I worried? Why am I actually praying to God with this concern? I would say the same thing regardless of who's in the room. I'm fully convinced of it. Whether there's two people here or a thousand people here, I would say the same thing. I would say what you have called me to say, God. So why am I freaked out? So please, God, calm my heart and my mind. As it gets close to when I'm supposed to go up, I stand up and I start to walk towards the stage the pounding in my chest only got worse. Please, God, calm my heart and mind. And as we pray, I have to wonder, what is it that we're actually after? As we talk to God, who's over all, and he's always listening, there's nothing hidden from him, he wants to hear from us. But as we pray, I have to wonder, what is it we're actually after? When you talk to the one who has not only commanded you to pray and says things like, you do not have because you do not ask. The one who's sovereign over everything, who knows what we're going to say before we say it, Jesus said. And yet he says, I want to hear you. 
But when we do that, what are we actually after? Or if we zoom out some more, like in all of life, what are we chasing after? What is it that we really want? What are we in pursuit of? But then we think about that in a prayer. And we come to today's text. Um, in the book of Ephesians, we're in chapter 3, and as we've been working our way through this, and we now come to the second time that Paul makes a prayer in this letter. And so if you will look with me, Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14, we'll pick up where we left off last week. Paul will again pray. He begins and says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. For this reason... Well, what is the reason, Paul? And so again, remember, context is critical. And so we look in context for this reason. He actually said this at the start of chapter 3. And remember, this is what we covered last week. He started a prayer for this reason, but then he went into this digression. He, he went a little sideways and, and unpacked some more things. But now he's coming back to what he started before he got distracted and went on this digression. That was beautiful, by the way. But for this reason, now ties back to chapter 2. What did he say just before he started to pray? And so in chapter 2, he unpacks the gospel, that you are saved by grace through faith. This is nothing you could do, no works. You cannot boast, you cannot brag in yourself. We just boast in the Lord because he did it all. We just respond in faith to the fact that God created us good. He is good. He's holy good. He created everything good, and yet we rebelled against him. And so all of evil is really just a perversion of what was good. And as we rebel against God, there's what we call the fall, that we are separated from God and we deserve wrath. He is just and there must be justice meted out for our injustice, for our rebellion. And so because we have sinned or missed the mark, we deserve his wrath. We deserve condemnation forever. But this good God who created everything good and that good creation rebels against some, namely us humans, he is also gracious. He is so loving. He is merciful. And so he steps in and says, I'll make a way to bring you back to me. And the way was from the beginning, actually from the beginning, actually, he's knowing and saying that this was actually planned out in eternity past, that the Son would be sent, that the Son of God, who is God himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, but the person of the Son would be sent, and he would take on human flesh. We're going to celebrate that in just a few weeks. It's crazy to say that, but at Christmas, that God became a man. He stepped into this mess, and he lived a sinless life. He met the mark. He did not rebel. He did everything in utter obedience. But then he died the sacrificial death. He died the death that you and I deserve, facing the wrath. And so the gospel ensures God saving us from God so that we get God. This was how he brought us back to himself, that he would take our place in facing our condemnation. But because he is God, he died, but then he was powerful and victorious over sin and death. He was raised back to life. And so we are invited into life everlasting with him. And so what we must do in responding to this gospel is just put your trust in him. We stop trying to earn it. We can never earn it. We can never be good enough. And instead, we put our trust in him, the one who was and is and always will be. And so he loves us and he's inviting us in. And he's like, turn from your sin. Confess you are a sinner. Trust in him to be your salvation, that he paid the price he died for us. Confess him to be Lord. He is glorious. He's the greatest treasure. There is nothing and no one like him. 
And so confess him as Lord, follow him. You hear the invitation of Jesus, follow me. So you put your trust in him, believe that he died, he rose again, confess him as Lord. The promise of scripture is you shall be saved. It's as sure as that. This is the good news. And so Paul has unpacked that in chapter two and he says, in light of that good news, that it's not what you could earn, not what you deserve. Actually, the gospel has brought us together. It's created a new man. It's not about Jews who receive the covenants and the promises. It's not about Gentiles who are outside of that and the animosity between them. He says, no, that wall of hostility has been destroyed. It's been brought to nothing. There's a new man, a new creation, which is the church. That is what the gospel has done. This good news has brought about life. And so for this reason, for what reason? The gospel and what it has done and creating a new man. So for this reason, He says he kneels before the Father. He kneels. Why kneel? And you think about this in any context. Kneeling is always tied to something of submission or surrender or even worship. It's to lower yourself. So Paul here is saying, I kneel. As he's about to launch into prayer, he's kneeling. He's putting himself below God, exalting God like his digression last week we talked about. He's exalting God, kneeling before God in submission, in reverence. And so we, we pulled together what he had just said last week, that we come with bold and confident access. And so he's coming to the Father to pray bold and with confident access, and yet in the right posture of reverence. That I can come here, I belong here because Jesus has made the way, he says I belong here, and so I come in here with full confidence, as the, the preacher in Hebrew says, we approach the throne of grace. It's a throne of grace. We don't deserve to be there, but we get to be there. But you do so with reverence. That he is holy. There's no one like him. And so we approach the throne of grace. We kneel. Sometimes, like Paul here, he's not yet praying, but he's kneeling. We are created as physical beings. And while you can do things like, like the music, I hope that it's moving but we always, many respons- we always want to be responsible with that because there's a way that you can use physiological things to manipulate people. And so we could shy away from that and be like, no, 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 we're, just, we're gonna cut out anything that could like stir our emotions or anything and, and just like keep it straightforward. But that's also neglecting the fact that God created us as embodied humans who have real ways in which we respond to environments that God orchestrated. And so we we should just walk the balance there. And you should be able to say, like Paul, sometimes before my heart can catch up, my body needs to react or my body needs to take action. And so sometimes it helps to kneel. When I'm not feeling like kneeling, I don't like, I'm not just overwhelmed by God in this moment, but sometimes maybe you need to lift your hands as a way of posturing yourself under God and exalting him. And everyone might look around and think like, man, I'm really into it. I heard a pastor talk about this one time that somebody, somebody came to him and was like, you know, I just, I just see you all the time and I admire you so much that you're always just like, you're so into it. Like you're so overwhelmed with the grandeur of God as you're worshiping. Your hands are lifted, your eyes are closed. And he's like, no, 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 that's actually more than likely when I'm not feeling it. Because as someone in a body, sometimes I need to act out these things so that my heart can catch up. And so Paul kneels before he even starts praying. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. So he's kneeling and he's talking to Father. This is God, the one whom every created being finds its origin in. And he's active in not just creating, but also naming. Every family in heaven and on earth has been named by him. That he knows us intimately. 
that he's active in all of that. And that's the familial terms of father and family. And so now, let's get into his prayer. Verse 16. He says, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What Paul has done here is he's, he's in his prayer, he has made a request and then he's given the reason for the request. And so as we look at this, um, we'll start with the request that he's making in prayer 16. It says, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory. Remember the riches of his glory, all the way back to chapter one. That it's in Christ and how glorious this cross, when it looks like death and evil have won. Instead, this is a king being exalted over all. So according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He is praying that God would grant them inner strength through the Spirit. This inner strength is meaning he's not asking God to like make them physically strong, like they can do really cool things. It's not like, no, what's inside of them? Give them an inner strength in their heart and their mind. Spirit, strengthen them. Give them great strength inside. And why? So that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith. Does this mean Christ was not present yet with them? No. Remember, the letter was addressed to faithful saints in Ephesus. So what does this mean, that Christ may dwell in their hearts? There's a difference in dwell and just being present. This idea of dwell in their hearts is more than being present. It's more like having a place that you live. It's like living in a place rather than just being present in a place. It's this deeper abiding. Paul's saying, I I want, God, I want Christ to live in their hearts, like in the very center of who they are. Like give them this inner strength so that they would know Christ is living right in the middle of them. It's Christ being centered, deeply rooted in their hearts. Uh, you know, hearts throughout scripture is synonymous with this inner person idea. It's, it's referring to the center of a person, the center of all their thoughts. It's the causal seat of how you make decisions. It's the center of your affections. Saying, like, I want Christ right there. That's his throne. That's where he lives And then he goes into the reason for his request. The second part of verse 17 starts a new sentence. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's praying that they would be rooted and firmly established in love and may be able to comprehend that, that part may be able, that they may be able, that you may be able to comprehend. What? May be able? You want me to be able to do something? He's using agriculture and architectural language. Rooted and firmly established. This idea of a plant being rooted or a building firmly established on a foundation. He's pulling in these metaphors, these ways that people would understand and relate to. They're like, he wants this to be solid. And why do plants or buildings need to be rooted or firmly established? When something of magnitude is coming their way. That's when you need to be rooted and firmly established. When the plant needs deep roots and when the building needs a solid foundation that it's firmly established on is when something of magnitude is coming its way. And so we have to read that and think, well, what is the thing of magnitude coming our way that he wants us to be rooted and firmely established so that we can comprehend? What does he say? The length, the width, the height, and the depth of God's love. 
Paul's saying you have to be anchored in love so that you can then comprehend more love. But you're never going to fully comprehend that love because it's a love that actually goes beyond your comprehension. It's this love that you can know, but it's unknowable. And I'm praying that you would know it. But for you to know it, first, it starts with just simply being rooted, firmly established. Like this is what you hold to. It's just love. And then as you get that, as you're anchored to that, you'll never know the full extent of what's coming against you. That's the love of God. But you're going to be able to comprehend more of it. So we live, in, we live in Florida. We know hurricanes. We just had one a few weeks ago. And so the plant or the building that the hurricane, the winds sweep away, breaks it off, falls to the ground, rolls around, flies into your neighbor's house, whatever it is. It's scary. It's violent and all that stuff. But the things that move, the things that are taken away by the hurricane, they don't actually know the full magnitude of the hurricane because they're just swept up with it. And that's actually how many of us live our life. That we experience the love of God and we're just swept up in it and just, and off you go. And there's great beauty to that. But what if you were anchored? What if you were firmly established and now you can face the magnitude of the love that is sweeping in? And that's what Paul wants. He's like, I want you to be anchored in love so that you can take the full brunt of God's love being poured out on you. To really know it. But just know you won't ever fully know it. That's what he's praying for here. So that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I want to be full with God. And we, we often, when we're, we're talking about being full, we're talking about our hunger being satiated. Like, I had enough to eat. I'm full. Oh, you want dessert? No, can't do it. I'm full. Uh, last week, uh, we, we went on a, a short trip out of town, and, and we're in a city that... Like, if you ask me, what do you do there? And you're like, well, there's some history, but you just eat. Like, that's what you do. Like, it's a city known for food. And you just eat a ton. Like, we were eating two meals a day, and I still gained a lot of weight. Like, it's ridiculous. But we come back, and, and um, it's, it's just ridiculous, but I'm forgetful. And so after a week of just, like, enjoying this great food and just constantly being f- so full, I forgot my lunch. I'm a little kid. I pack my lunch most days. And so I forgot my lunch. And mom's not at home to bring me or anything. So I'm at work and I'm just like, just, just know there's a huge difference in facing your day, not eating, knowing that you're fasting and just forgetting lunch. Like it hits different. It's way different. And so the whole day I'm just like, oh man, I'm starving to death. And Paul is saying, I want you to be filled with all the fullness of God. Like an infant, we have some new babies in the church. And those babies are so selfish. And they just start screaming their heads off. Why? It's time to feed me. I want to be full. And I don't like when I'm not full. If you feed me and I'm full, I'll go to sleep. You're welcome. <laughs> this is, Jesus was always bringing children. He's like, the, the kingdom belongs to such as these. Like that little baby screaming its head off. Feed me. Like, that's what I want. For you to be filled with all the fullness of God. So come to him like a baby, like an infant, completely dependent on their parents, on your Father in heaven. Just scream your little head off. I want you to feed me. I want you to satisfy me. I want you to fill me. And Paul's saying, I'm asking for that for you. And now I'm asking, will you want that for yourself? 
Or when we keep running to other things, we're like, Snickers bar, the Cheetos, all the junk food. And you're like, oh, nom, 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 it fills me up. And then an hour later, I just feel awful and I'm hungry again. So what do we run to? What will actually satisfy? You know, it's possible to make it. I read an article last year, I think it was last year. There's this guy, um, God bless him. I don't know if he's okay anymore, but he was having severe medical issues because he decided at a young age, he really liked chicken McNuggets. And that's all he ate for years until his body eventually said, no can do. It's possible to make it a long time off of junk. You know this to be true. What is the sin? What is the, what is the stuff that we run to? And we try to fill ourselves and satisfy ourselves, but we know that it's bad for us and it leaves us feeling awful and then hungry again. No matter how much I just pour into myself, I just can't get enough of this and I'm still not satisfied and I want more. And when will we realize you're chewing the wrong thing? It will never give you fullness that you want but God will and God will so what is clearly key for being filled with the fullness of God all of this goes back what is he saying look in the text love the love of God it's the love of God and so today I just want you to realize I want us to to see that we must move from a theological reconciliation to an experiential reconciliation Meaning, we have to move from just knowing some things that are true to actually living it out, experiencing that. That you're telling me that God satisfies like nothing else. I don't know that that's true. And I would say, live it. Press into it. Feast on him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And and I want to confess to you that that is an ongoing battle for us on this side of redemption. That we are so fickle and so prone to just chase after other things. But we have to see what really satisfies the love of God, how much he loves us. We have to move from this theological just knowledge to an experience of what God says is true, an experience of what we know to be true, to really live it. Please, God, calm my heart and my mind. Please, God, calm my heart and my mind. And I'm walking forward and I take the stage. I step up to the microphone to fill out an evening. Close it. It's been an evening full of crafted statements that bring applause around the room. Some really impressive, important people. And now I stand in front of this microphone and realize it's 9.01. And I need to say something. My head's still spinning, but I'm still repeating that theme in my head. The greatest of these is love. And so in rapid fire succession, I make a few comments for a few seconds about the love of God. I read a passage, this passage that I'm preaching today, and I close in prayer. And it's over. I'm alive. I lived through it. And as I walk off the stage and start to make my way back to the table, a friend who's a member here sitting right here, I won't look at him. He says, good job, man. And you know what I wanted to say back? I wanted to cry. And I wanted to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I failed you. I failed our church, whose name was listed on the program for all these impressive people to see. 
I failed God. I failed myself. I failed my wife. I failed my kids. I'm just a failure. And I can go back through every syllable, every one that I misspoke. I can go back through every choppy transition of all the 90 seconds that I was up there. And I can tell you that it was coherent. I didn't just absolutely fumble any of it. I said things that made sense, and I prayed. I held the gospel up for people to hear. So why do I feel this way? Why do I feel like an absolute failure? Because it wasn't impressive. Because I didn't impress myself with what I said in a room where I'm convinced that these are impressive people. In other words, my greatest sin that I have to confess to you is my pride, that my pride started to rear its ugly head and say, who are you? You're nobody. To be in a room like this, full of somebodies, and you get to close it out, way to ruin that, Kevin. And so I'm sitting there, and I go home, and I'm just wrestling with all these thoughts and feelings. I'm thinking, I wonder if they regret inviting me. I wonder if they regret inviting me. Did God really call me to do this? Does God regret calling me to be a pastor? And man, do I even know how to preach? I have to rethink all of this because Sunday's coming and I'd better have more than 30 seconds of stuff that I don't butcher. I'm just, all these things are seeping into my mind and bleeding out of my heart as I realize how much this idol of just being impressive and wanting the applause, the praise of others to make me feel like I'm doing good. And what a lie. What a lie it is. It's insane that I keep running back to this idol of achievement and accomplishment and not realizing it never satisfies Kevin. It's never enough. Because you know what the problem was? I walked into that room and I stepped up to that microphone with a knowledge of the love of God that I could even articulate and share with others. But I didn't, in that moment, have the experience of the love of God. That God, as I walk through that and all these weird feelings, and I'm just, this is who I am. I'm so sorry, but this is who I am, and you need to know that. As I go throughout the week and I'm processing all these things, I'm just reminded again and again of how much that is horrible. It is awful. It is sin that I want to be impressive, and it will never satisfy. And as I repent, I don't repent because I feel God's judgment and his anger saying, you screwed up again, Kevin. Even if you made it look okay on the stage, I saw your heart, and you were awful. No. I hear the quiet whisper of the Spirit of God say, that's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And I'm just overwhelmed in tears to think, that's how you fix this? That's how you fix this heart of mine, is to kindly step in and quietly say, Kevin, I love you. It doesn't matter how good you did. It doesn't matter how bad you did. I love you. And that's what matters. And when I can anchor myself in that, then I don't just come on and off of a stage like the love of God blew me through the room. But I can actually be present in that. I can be anchored and experience the the love of God, know the love of God, but know that it's not actually knowable. I cannot fully comprehend it, but it's full for me. This length 
and width to height and depth of God's love, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, to be filled with the fullness of God, not the fullness of fleeting approval and accomplishment. Oh, I so want that. And I'm chasing after it. And I'm learning with you, and I hope that you will follow me in this, that this is my prayer for you constantly is like Paul prayed. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Oh, to be a church. Where we are filled with all the fullness of God filled with all the fullness of God. That means we have to be with God. To, to know God in this way that like, it's not even fully comprehensible is to have this intimacy with God, to really know him. You know, intimacy grows by a lot of things, but, but two things that I think are absolutely kind of top of the list you have to be vulnerable. You have to have time and you have to have proximity. So you have a new friendship, your spouse, your family. Do you want greater intimacy? You have to be vulnerable. You have to have time together and you have to be close, like literally close. So with God, that means we have to confess. We have to be honest about who we are, where he finds us. We have to confess, and then we have to wait for the Lord. Do you know how often scripture talks about wait for the Lord? We have to actually have time for him. If you think that I'm just gonna get this five-minute little devotional in the morning because the app reminded me, and whew, I got through that. That was so good. Man, I'm gonna be on fire for Christ today. (laughs) Bring the hurricane of your love. (laughs) Oh, you know. 45 minutes later, still scrolling through social media. Which one's shaping you? Do you have time for the Lord? Do you want intimacy with the Lord? It's going to take time. And it's not just a set number of hours in a day. It's a lifetime of pursuit. Just waiting for the Lord, being with the Lord. That's the other part. It's being present. Do you want greater intimacy in your marriage? Here's some marriage coaching advice children in the room, but you want greater physical intimacy? What would it look like to remind your spouse that you are actually present in this moment? Be present. If you want intimacy, you must be present. Be present with the Lord. So give him time. Spend an absurd amount of time just being with the Lord. Be vulnerable with him. Be present with him. If we do that, you'll see greater who he is. And then we'll respond like Paul as he closes his prayer. Because there's nothing else for us to do but to break out into worship. And so he goes into this doxology. He says, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Praise naturally accompanies our petitions. So we see him to be who he is. It's his unlimited ability that is why we actually petition him. And so where does Paul locate glory to God? In the church and in Christ Jesus. 
Do you know the beauty of it? We're going to talk about this a lot next week. Do you know the beauty of what you're sitting in right now? To be the people of God, to be the new man that he has created, to be with your church family. When Paul says, this is the arena of God's glory. It's in the church and in Christ Jesus who has made the church. This is where he is glorified. Do you think that this is something that's just like, yeah, you know, if it works out this week? And not to say that being the church is just Sunday mornings, but man, what a moment that from the early church on, they said, you know, in honor of the resurrection, let's gather on the Lord's Day. We're going to call it the Lord's Day. And there's something so special about this coming together corporately to raise our voices and sing the praises of God, to open the scriptures and say, let's feast. To do what he commanded us to do until his return, proclaim his death as we consume his body and blood, to be reminded he is in us, he is with us. This is our salvation, that he died and he rose again. It was the cost of his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. This is good news. If you recall this again in context, he started for this reason, going back to God has created a new man, namely the church, and now he's saying glory to God in the church. This is good news. So skeptic, seeker, stumbling, or doubting saint, will you believe this good news? There's a God who is making all things new. There's a God who wants to spend time with you. There's a God who wants to satisfy you. He wants you to be filled with his own fullness. As I was struggling this week, a friend sent me this verse from Hosea. It says, let's strive to know the Lord. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the land. If you don't know, if you've not tasted to see that the Lord is good, maybe you're in a season of drought because that's what it is to be before the rain. Or a season of winter when everything is dead and you're waiting for the spring showers. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like rain, like the spring showers that water the land. A follower of Jesus, who can you share this good news with? What a beautiful desire to be like Paul. That my desire is that you would know this unknowable love of God. My desire is that your desire is that you would desire God in such a way that only he would satisfy your desires. I want that for you. Will you pray? Father, thank you for your love. There's not a way to do justice of, of expounding on this love, but to say like Paul that it's, it's something that we can know, but it's unknowable. It's so great, because you are so great. And you have shown us love on a cross, that you sent your son that we could have eternal life. Thank you. Bless this church. I love you and praise you. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.